Today we're beginning a new sermon series this summer called Battle Ready. I'm going to read from Ephesians chapter 6. I'm going to read about six verses from the book of Ephesians, and it starts in verse 10, and it says, Finally, everyone say finally. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you will be able to stand, 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 stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, you stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. And in addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and pray. Let's pray right now. God, as we enter into this new series, Lord, let your word become alive and speak to our situations, oh God, so that we can take authority over the things that are set against us from the pit of hell, and we could continue to be conquerors in every single area of our life. And all of God's people said, amen. Go ahead and take your seats, people of God. And you can already see, here I have, the armor of God fully displayed for you. Six aspects of the armor of God. These six different aspects of the armor we're going to unpack. There's actually seven items in armor, but we're going to talk about six of them because these are the six that the Apostle Paul writes about to the church in Ephesus. He, he focuses on these and of course, today in our generation, you don't see many people walking around the streets dressed in this kind of armor, do you? <laughs> around the streets of Yorkshire, all dressed up like this. This is Roman armor. I know we have, we have a heritage, a medieval heritage with armor, but it's been a long time since you saw Rich Martin walking around the streets of Bradford in, in armor like this. And whenever you're talking about the armor of God and you're applying that into a 21st century culture, we have what I would call a, a, a gap. We have a historical gap of understanding, a cultural gap that we have to get over when we read this and understand this. And so I thought it would be helpful to actually get the armor actually set up for you so that you can actually see it. So you can actually understand what the armor looks like because the armor of God, when we think about this, is not masculine and it's not feminine. It's gender neutral. This is just not for the men in the house. This is just not for the spiritual prayer warriors who are the women of God in our house because I know we have them in our house. This is for everyone to understand what this armor is. And the reason why we're talking about this is because when, when Paul talked about this, he said, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. When I'm speaking about this and I understand this, there's a difference between power that is a stored strength and power that is a strength that you're tapping into. 
a light bulb doesn't run out of energy or get tired when it's plugged into a source. The light bulb just simply turns on and it works because it's plugged into our power source. But you and I, if we're not careful, we can work in our own strength. We can work in our own natural ability and there will be an end to our natural ability. And so when we're talking about the armor of God, we have to understand that this is not the armor of Steve. It's not even the armor of life, church. It's like, this is not, this is not how I dress up in front of my wife, Charlotte. I say, Charlotte, don't I look good today? I've got my physical suit. I know this is not the armor of Steve. So I've had to overcome. What in the world is the Apostle Paul talking about? What are these different aspects of armor? And so I wanted to unpack this armor and, and, and talk about this because the reason why I wanted to focus on this is because what we just experience when we come together and we begin to praise God is so much more than a happy, clappy experience. It is so much more than lifting a, a hand in worship. It's so much more than that, so much deeper than that. Let me tell you, what we're doing is so much more important than a Coldplay concert or whatever your band is that you enjoy going to or whatever your sporting event is. What we're doing when we worship and praise God is so much more significant than we could ever imagine. What we do when we enter into the presence of God is that we are in an epic struggle a struggle for the souls of the world right now. We are fighting a fight that's worth fighting for because we're fighting for your sons and daughters, for your grandchildren, and that's a fight worth fighting for. And when you're understanding that there's a fight worth fighting for, you also have to understand that there are certain fights that are not worth fighting for. There are certain things that are not going to make what I would class like this, what's the difference? An eternal difference, a long-lasting difference. There are certain things when it comes to choices I'm not really concerned about. You know, <laughs> my wife does all that around the house. She, did, she asks me a question, she's like, Steve, what color would you like the cushion to be on the couch? I'm like, I have no opinion. <laughs> don't even ask me. What color of paint would you like on the wall? I, I don't care, I was like, that doesn't matter to me. It's like. What, what, and I, I've learned that this is the way I'm wired. It's like there are certain things I'm really focused on and I really do care about. And there are other things like I'm not good at that. And, and so I don't really have an opinion. We have to learn, church, there are certain things in life that, that we need to, it's not that we're ignoring them or neglecting them, but we just need to not have an opinion on that. When the Bible's silent on certain things in the Bible, it, it's simply because, uh, and we need to ask ourselves the question, when the Bible's silent on certain subjects, is that really worth fighting for? Is, is it really worth upsetting ourselves about, you know, focusing on certain situations that are really not going to make what I would class as an eternal difference? But if we flip it and we ask ourselves the question, then what will make an eternal difference? What will make an eternal difference is the future of our sons and daughters and the generations, and that's worth not only fighting for, it's worth being willing to die for and being willing to step up and stand up and being willing to outlast the enemy. And so I'm saying that because this is a fight to the finish. And I intend to win it with the help of Almighty God. What about you? I don't intend on losing this spiritual battle. I intend on winning it for my generations to come that are not even born yet. And so I wanted to talk about this today because the devil has schemes. We just read it in Ephesians. And, and that word scheme means strategy, it means methods. 
Did you know the devil has methods against you? Now, I, I don't want to overemphasize the devil's power. I don't want to give him more credit than he has. But on the other hand, church, I don't want you to be apathetic or ignorant about his schemes. I don't want you to be so blasé about the enemy that you don't recognize an, a, a scheme, a demonic scheme for what it is and when it is. And you know, I think it's fascinating today that we talk about the cross of Jesus Christ. We, we talk about the cross and we, we sing about the cross and we worship about the cross and yet we doubt the devil. The reason why Colossians chapter two talks about the triumph of the cross is because the devil was defeated by the triumph of the cross. So you can't just focus on the cross without understanding the victory over the devil. And when the Apostle Paul talked about that we battle not against flesh and blood, but we battle against spiritual forces, he used the word that we wrestle. We wrestle against spiritual forces. <laughs> you know, I wanna, I wanna bring this to our millennial generation today, and be careful, millennials. Be careful, young adults, because our motto has not become we wrestle against flesh and blood and against spiritual powers and we wrestle. It's become we wrestle not at all. We pray not at all. We fight not at all. And I'm like, I'm looking at a generation going, come on, generation, we have to raise our understanding of what the Bible's talking about, about prayer and about spiritual warfare. And so I'm going to give you my first point, probably my only point I'm going to get through today, which is this. It's time to suit up. It's time to suit up. Because this is what you do, not what God does for you. You have to do this for yourself. God won't do this for you. And the same way that you have to feed yourself, dress yourself, clothe yourself, you have to suit yourself up and understand the spiritual armor of God. God will not do this for you. In fact, Jesus has already done everything he needed to do for you. But sometimes we're not walking in the victory that God has for us, not because God doesn't want that for us, but because we don't understand what it means to suit up. And so I'm gonna start and probably get through these first three aspects of the six parts of the armor of God. I'm gonna start with the belt of truth right now. This, you can see, is the belt of truth. If we can get a close-up on that, that would be amazing somewhere so we could get it on the screen. The belt of truth. Now you can see this belt of truth is an outer garment, but there's also an inner garment that's also a belt. And the interesting thing about the belt of truth is this, that the belt of truth is never taken off. Did you know that? Did you know that in the days of the Roman centurions that they had a cloak that they wore and the belt of truth that they would have underneath this aspect, the belt of truth would be a little bit about the person's belt, the man or woman sitting next to you that has a belt on. And if you have a belt on, just go ahead and grab it right now. Not, not, not your neighbors, your own belt, because that could be very, very awkward. <laughs> Those of us in life who have ever misplaced the belt know what it's like to live life without a belt. You're always wondering about what's gonna fall down. Can I relate to anybody? <laughs> will, my, will my trousers stay up? And you know, one of the things I learned in Bible school, this is one of the most important things I ever learned in Bible school, is one of the preachers stood up who was an old gentleman. He was called Ivor Hopkins. And he said, you young students, he said, let me tell you a preaching tip. He said, always wear a belt and always make sure that your fly is zipped up. <laughs> Two greatest words of advice that I ever heard about preaching right there, somebody. Why, because when your belt is in place, your undergarments are girded, 
And now you can be dressed, and you can be dressed around that. But the Bible doesn't just say it's a belt. It says it's a belt of truth. And it's the aspect of truth that we need to understand today because we're very good today at talking about truth in terms of relativism. Relativism is whatever works for you, whatever you believe is good. No, the Bible talks about what's called absolute truth. So when Jesus, he began to teach, and we looked through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and we looked through what he said, he fully expected his teaching to be classed as absolute truth. Amen. Not relative truth. Not something you can either reject or accept a part of. He expected his word to be absolute truth. That's why the Bible says in John chapter 14, verse 6, it said, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. And no one can come to the Father except through me because he's talking about the truth. And then not only the truth, it says that we should buckle up the belt. When you buckle up the belt, it's sealed. You can't take off the belt when it suits you. You can't take off the belt when you're you know, in a situation when you're thinking about compromise. You can't take the belt of truth off when it's inconvenient to stay in a place of trust and truth. When it's inconvenient and difficult and hard, don't take your belt off. Don't take it off and just you know, compromise that moment and then put your belt back on later. Come on, can we just keep our trousers up, church? Come on, somebody. And that moment when we're tempted to be in a place where we let our guard down, no. Can we make sure that the absolute truth of the word of God we are 100% committed to? If we understand this, corruption would be fixed overnight. Corruption would be fixed. Tax evasion would be fixed. Criminal activity would be taken care of. Lying and slander and gossip would be taken care of because we would never take off the buckled belt of truth. Never take it off. I would want to go a step further and say, you are not prepared for battle until you know that you're buckled up. Don't be going into battle with an unbuckled belt because you're going to lift your weapon and your trousers are going to fall down, somebody. It happened to Samson. He thought his strength would be there, but he wasn't walking in truth, and so he was defeated. It happened right through the entire Bible. You can look at people who expected God to turn up you can look through the Old Testament, look at 1 Kings and 2 Kings. All the kings, they begin to disobey God because they weren't understanding the power of absolute truth. But is there somebody here today who is standing not on a version of the truth, but standing on the word of God as truth? Because when you stand on the word of God as truth, everything changes. The truth of God is this. You might be sick in your body, but the word of God promises you that your Jesus is your healer. And so even when the medical reports come in, and some of you are facing difficult medical reports right now, I get that. And when the doctor's report come in, remember, finally, you keep that truth buckled, even against all odds. Even when the doctor's report says you're going to die, the word of God says you can live because of what Jesus has done for you and I on the cross of Jesus Christ. Death Hell and the grave were defeated. We just worship about it. We just sang about it. But are we experiencing it? Keep that belt truth buckled. I need to move on because there's so many other parts of the armor, but this is huge for the emerging generation. Do you know that truth is not taught anymore in the universities? 
relative truth is taught. We have problems right now in our primary schools throughout Great Britain because the, the relative truth is invaded what the Bible teaches. And you know, I want to be clear about this because when you have perfect love, what does perfect love do? It casts out all deception. And the way the devil operates is he is the father of lies. He's a deceiver and he deceives people. He does it through this area of truth. We defeat the devil by understanding what the truth is and learning how to apply it in every single area of our life. That's why Jesus said this in John chapter 8, verse 29, that you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. When you know the truth about yourself, you are a son, you are a daughter of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Sure, you might have went through some difficulty and some challenges, and people told you you would never amount to anything. That is not the truth. The truth is you are a champion, you are a warrior. You can do it because your God is with you. That's the truth. Don't let go of the truth in the middle of a battle. You're not battle ready until you're buckled up and ready. And when you understand the truth of God, it doesn't matter how tired you feel. It doesn't matter how exhausted you feel. You're not working in your own strength. You're working in the strength of Almighty God now. You can go to sleep knowing that your God is still fighting for you. You can go to sleep knowing you've done everything that you can do, and now it's over to the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. That's how you know you're battle ready. I'm not battle ready today because I am fresh and alive. I am battle ready because my truth, the Word of God, is buckled. It doesn't depend on how I feel. I've had an exhausting last couple of weeks. My wife Charlotte is away, and, and I've had some things going on in my world that require a lot of hard work, and so I feel tired. You know, it's okay to feel tired in life. As long as you don't take your belt buckle off, you can be tired and you can be victorious in every area of your life. You can wake up, have a cup of java, and say, I'm ready, bring on the challenges, bring on the obstacles before me, because I know I'm going to the next level. You see, we go through this area in time of our life where we're like, oh, I'm just going to chill out. I'm going to put my feet up and I'm not going to do anything. Yeah, do that. Rest a day a week. Rest for a couple of hours. And then stand up, get that belt on, and get back into the battle. We have too many Christians today that attended church, were a part of church, and they've just decided, I'm not going to be a part of the worship of God. I'm just going to draw back in different areas. The devil loves that. He loves it when we're to see it. Take a week off, take a few weeks off, take a month off. What happens is your spiritual fire grows cold. And if that grows cold, guess what? Your children and your grandchildren and your uncles and your aunts and your relatives, they're not going to step up as well. And so even when I'm tired, I've determined I'm going to be in the house of God. I'm going to continue to praise. I'm going to continue to read my Bible right through the week. Why? Because that's the belt of truth buckled. I think I just need to stay on the belt of truth all morning right now. The belt of truth, the belt of truth, the belt of truth. I'm not in a hurry. I'm not in a hurry because the devil has deceived so many of us. This book matters. It counts. You've got to read it. You've got to dig into it. It matters. What does the Bible say about marriage? What does the Bible say about parenting? You know, what the Bible says about those things, those aspects, is vitally important. That's what we live our lives by. This is our battle guide. This is our manual. It's not what the latest child psychologist said and taught. I'm all good with that. 
I'm all up for people that have master's and doctorate's degrees because I believe that God uses professional people. I, I think that we need to aspire as Christians to lift the level and lift the standard in every single area. But if it doesn't line up with the word of God, somebody, it doesn't matter. You throw it out. You eat the fish and you spit the bones out. You learn what you can and then you realize there's a higher authority. There's a moral authority. So many people today are in fear, but we're in fear because our truth's not buckled. We're in fear because we've been invaded by all of these other thoughts and all of these other lies, and we've gotta park that and decide, I'm gonna get into Jesus. I'm gonna dig deeper into who he is and who he says I am. Who you are, Jesus. Who do you say I am? What do you say about the way I should be a dad, the way I should parent, the way I should lead, the way I should work? And when you understand that, you begin to move and you begin to rise up in a place of faith and things start to change. So let's buckle up this summer. Are you buckled? Turn to the person next to you and say, buckle up. Buckle up. Buckle up. Buckle up, church. We got some battles coming our way. Anybody know that? There's some schemes. We just read about it. Schemes are coming. That's the truth of the word of God. I wish I could just take that out and say, no schemes, no plans, no unforeseen accidents, no unforeseen circumstances. No, I, I wish I could just take all that out, but the, the truth is we live in a fallen world. We live in a world with some real pain and some real heartache. I'm not gonna be in a place as your pastor to tell you that it's always gonna be easy. I wouldn't be doing uh, what I should be doing if I said, is this all gonna be easy? You know, we're gonna pray and worship and your life's gonna be brilliant and it's gonna be perfect and you're never gonna have adversity because I'm gonna answer before God about that. But what I can do is equip you and teach you what truth means. What I can do is teach you what it means to rescue a generation, rescue your own mind. What I can do is help you stay buckled up for your future. Pass that up, <laughs> you know, battle up your loins. Gird up your loins, the Bible says. Wow, let's not even go there. Some of you are like, wow, that's really deep. And the reason why the Bible talks about this phrase is because when you need to run, you have to take your shirt and you've got you to put it in. You've got to put it in your buckle. You can't run until you put your shirt in. And some of you, some of you can't run because you're all, you're all over the show. Your areas, certain areas of your life, you're, you're not girded up in. And you, you know, when the enemy comes at you, you don't know which direction to run. But when you got the belt of truth on, you just tuck it in, you take authority in Jesus' name, and you pray, and you confess, and you declare the word of God. And you don't give up on that. You keep at it. I gotta at least give you one more. The breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate, this is the breastplate of righteousness. Now I know this is the Roman terminology for the breastplate of righteousness, but in the armor of God, the breastplate completely covers every vital organ. The vital organs, the heart and the lung, are covered by the breastplate of righteousness, and this analogy that we're talking about is what 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says, that God made Jesus to be sin for us, so that we might become the righteousness of God. 
Jesus became sin for me, for you. Turn to the person next to you and say, for you. Jesus became sin for you. Think about that. Okay, that's very awkward. That's very awkward to point to somebody and say, Jesus became sin, but I want you to remember it. Because the breastplate of righteousness changes everything. The interesting thing about this breastplate of righteousness that always fascinates me about the breastplate, and, and this is the part of the armor that I talked about, is there's a part of the armor missing. The breastplate of righteousness, which is the second aspect of the suit of armor, has no reference, no reference at all to the seventh missing part of the armor, which is the backplate. In Paul's understanding of the application of what the armor of God is, there is no armor that protects your back. And if there's no armor that protects your back, that can only mean one thing, that we have to face our battle head on. If we don't face our battles head on, then what happens is we turn our back to the battle, and as we do that, we are uncovered, we are unprotected, and we will be defeated. Suiting up means the breastplate's on, so what that means is we face any battle that we have. It might be a financial battle for someone right now. It might be that you have a debt situation, and I get it because I lived in debt, and I lived in pressure of all that, and, and when British Gas used to send me a bill, I, I used to literally feel fear come over me. I didn't even want to open the envelope. I guess I'm just speaking to myself. Probably you've never been through that. When you have to open a bill, and even before you open the bill, you're expecting the worst. I mean, that, that's, that's, what, that's what the, no, you gotta, you gotta open it. I, I've, I've met people in my pastoring over 25 years here in the church. They took every bill they had and put it in a drawer, and they refused to open it. And they would get the second bill, and then a red reminder, and then finally to the point where the gas would get turned off. You know, it's a whole lot easier when you open the bill the first time. And you open it and you see the financial lock and you say, I know I don't have my money in my bank account, so I'm going to Jehovah Jireh. My God, you're the provider. My belt of truth is on. This bill is your bill. Lord, I'm gonna work hard. I'm gonna do everything I can do. But Lord, I know as I tithe and bring offerings into the house, you're gonna provide more than I need for life and godliness. You know what, I began to confess that. When the bills came, I actually looked forward to receiving them and opening them up. There are other areas that the breastplate of righteousness covers in our life, so many other areas. All these other areas are the areas where sin used to defeat us, where sin used to hold you back. Sin used to actually find a place in you and pull you back, but when you have the breastplate of righteousness, you remind yourself, I'm gonna deal with that situation and face it and move on. Don't ignore a bad attitude. Some of you right now, you have attitudes and, and all kinds of situations around you. It might be someone at work. It might be someone in your family. Be wise. Stay in a place of peace. But make sure you understand that your battle might not just be something tangible and physical. It might be an attitude. It might be a belief system. It might be a different level of understanding. Well, keep that righteousness on and deal with that situation like Jesus did. Deal with it. Face it and continue to go ahead and address that. And I'm just gonna quickly cover one more as we finish today. And this is one of my favorite ones for this reason, because it's the sandals over here. Is anybody here a sandal person? I'm more of a slide person myself. But the sandals right here are interesting, because the sandals say 
that your feet are fitted with the readiness of the gospel of peace. Feet fitted. Having your feet fitted is something that we don't understand today. But I was a little old school, you know, when I was raised, and I still remember a shoe salesman. Anybody remember a shoe salesman? Okay, this is dating myself. Now, this is pre-Google, okay? It's like, you couldn't just type in, what kind of shoes does my child need? You had to go to the shoe store and ask the clerk, can you help me pick a shoe? Or, I'm an athlete, I need a shoe. What, what shoe do I get? And they would actually pull out this, this physical tool that measured your foot. Anybody had their foot measured? And you remember, you put your foot in the actual unit, you, you put it in there, and the shoe salesman comes, is a professional, and he knows about the construction of the shoe, he knows about every aspect of it, how it's built, you know. You go into Foot Locker today, and you ask somebody what's in this shoe, they're gonna be like, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> well, what's in this shoe? What kind of shoe should I get? They're gonna be like, I don't even have a clue what kind of shoe that we should get today. But I still remember my dad taking me to a shoe salesman, to a shoe store, putting my size, foot, whatever it was, five at the time when I was a little kid, putting it in the shoe, and the salesman saying, you've got a problem, Mr. Gambill. And he was talking to my dad, and my dad said, well, what's the problem? He said, your son, he runs, he runs like this. One of his feet is turned inward. And because his feet is turned inward, he's going to need a special kind of shoe to force his foot from being pigeon-toed to being out there. Now, I remind you, this is no doctor. This is a shoe salesman. And the shoe salesman says to me, I know exactly what you need. <laughs> the shoe that you need is the special shoe that's going to force your foot out, and it's going to help you to turn outward, not inward, but outward. And then you, what you also need is you need to go to a medical doctor, and you get your son is going to have to wear a brace on his right leg for about probably a year. And then after that, his shoe and his foot are going to be forced outward, and he's going to be fine after all that. Well, that was not a pleasant day at the shoe store, let me tell you. I walked out of that, I remember crying, I remember thinking about all that pain, and I remember getting the shoe and putting the shoe on, going to the doctor, and they put my leg in a brace and going to school. And I went to school, I got bullied at school because of this. Uh, you know, when they had the dashes, the, what do they call it, the 100-yard dash, whatever it was, I don't even know the name of it because that's not the thing I wanted to go do. Because if I just crossed the line, I thought it was a miracle. You know, and when I ran, it's like, I, was like, I was like last place. They're like, how do you run so fast? With I felt like Forrest Gump, somebody. <laughs> Why? Because, because my feet fitted were painful at the time, but oh, there was a day the shoes came off. The braces came off and my leg was fixed, and then I could run. But I had to go through an experience of having my feet fitted. And what Jesus said about this experience, the gospel of peace it's called, you see, when we think about these feet, we often think that the, the gospel, the good news, is what this is all about. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. And there's a truth to that. But there's also another part of this that I wanted to focus on. And the other part is not bringing the gospel, the good news. It's living in peace. It's walking in peace. And I'm saying that because fast forward 25, 30 years, and my wife said to me, it's time to, it's time to take our children, Steve, to the shoe store. I said, what, what do you mean, go to the shoe store? She said, we need to go to Clark's. Clark's is a shoe store where they still measure children's feet. Anybody know, been to that store, Clark's? And instantly, as she said, we're going to the shoe store, a fear came over me. 
And the fear was this. The fear was my children are gonna end up with a brace. They're gonna get bullied like I was when I was a kid. Can anybody relate to that? I remember thinking there is no way I'm going to that shoe store. There's no way my children are gonna hear that their feet. And so suddenly my fear got on to my present day situation. Something that went, I went through 30 something years prior was now in my world today. And guess what I had to do? I had to face that fear head on. I had to face it head on. I had to put my belt on and say, my belt's on. The truth of God is this. The truth of God is, Jesus, you're my healer, which means you're the, the healer of my children. Keep my brace on. And then I had to say, no, Jesus, you died for my sins. That's a sin. It's a sin to be in unbelief. It's a sin to be in a place where I'm, I'm, I'm on all this fear. And so I made a decision to stay in peace. Why? Because my shoes are about staying in peace. See, if you're living in peace and you're staying in peace, you can't take your shoes off. You can't just say, I'm gonna kick my shoes off one day. I'm gonna kick them off because, no, we're living in peace. Don't take off your shoes of peace. You're only battle ready when you're in peace in every area of your life. And if there's an area of your life right now that you are not in peace about, it might be as practical as dealing with your children like I just mentioned, taking him to a shoe store and an old memory comes back up. No, you stay in peace. Why? Because Jesus said, perfect peace accompanies those who believe. Perfect peace is, is our destiny for you and I as we walk in peace, as we live in peace, as we sleep in peace. That's the armor of God. Don't take off the armor. You're only battle ready when you're living in that peace in every area of your life. How do we do that? When there's an area that brings fear, we bring the fear to Jesus. It's just that simple. We bring that fear to Jesus and we say, Jesus, I got a problem. Jesus, I got a challenge. Help me with a situation. And we get that on and suddenly faith rise, rises up in our heart. And it was that day when I dealt with that situation by not ignoring it, not running away from it, by going to the shoe store with my wife and my two children. And the shoe person said, your children their feet are perfect. Now, you'll never understand what that meant. You, you can't process that because it doesn't mean the same to you. But when they said, your children's feet are perfect, I'm just being real with you. I began to cry. <laughs> and then I got it together. <laughs> Don't let those tears out. I'm, I'm crying in Clark's. What is this? And I realized, I realized how much God is committed to not only me, but my children. And I put my tears away and I was like, God, thank you that you're helping my children. Thank you that you're helping us move forward. You see, we often face these areas of this peace, and, and we're like, how come someone else doesn't feel like I feel about the situation? Well, it's because they're fighting a different battle than you are. The battle of the person next to you is different than the battle that you're fighting right now. But the peace of God is perfectly fitted for every single one of us. Every shoe size, every, every eventuality, every single person is perfectly fitted with peace. Your battles might look different, your circumstances might look different, but the peace of God, the peace of God is all over you. Can you say amen to that?